Um, I suppose uh, reading your blogs and things, um, there were three things that struck me, really. There's the question of curiosity. Um, and if I was being really churlish and uh, cynical, I could say <laughs> curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> uh, but you go yeah. to really difficult areas and you work in difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was the driving force behind that curiosity and that uh, desire to uh, tell stories of people under duress and under stress? What was what, what drew drew you to those things? Mm, well, that's something I've been asking myself quite a lot because it's it was quite a big step for me um, to go to Iraq. But it started gradually, you know, I was travelling to countries in Africa that had like a lot of social issues and I felt drawn to try and highlight those issues with my photography. But going to a war zone was different for sure. Um, but I think it was because I spent some time in refugee camps in Europe and I was talking to people who had most, most well, a lot of them had fled ISIS or violence as a result of ISIS, like the the war in Syria and everything. Um, um Assad's bombs, a lot of Syrian refugees. Anyway, and, and a lot of Iraqis, of course. And then I, I just felt like I wanted to take that step and go there and try to understand it better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to Iraq, though, I didn't actually have any plan to go to the front line. I'd been warned just to stay away from the front line, and I really didn't think I would. I was going to refugee camps. Mm-hmm. So I'd been in touch with UNICEF, and they were willing to give me access to their projects in the camps for internally displaced people, um, but of course, within a few days, I was there. I did um, hostile environment training, and then I was surrounded by journalists who were coming back every day from the front line, with you know, it's hard to say, but quite exciting stories, I suppose. And you know, I guess they're all you're on an adrenaline rush because they feel like they've survived, and and I felt like I I wanted to go. So my third day there I was on the way to the front line, but I did. We didn't actually didn't get in that day. Luckily, I guess uh, there was the fighting had intensified, so they stopped. Actually, the two weeks that I was in Iraq the first time, there was a ban on foreign journalists going to the, going into Mosul with the Iraqi army for the whole time I was there. Mm. So I actually only I only went to the front line once. So I have a very limited experience. I'm really new to it. It's just an introduction. Um, but my motive for going is something I ask myself a lot. Uh, I guess you then in that case you must be quite driven as a personality and as a photographer and as a mm. journalist. Yeah, I think. I would say I, I am at the moment, yeah. I, right. I think I'm borderline obsessed with it. <laughs> I can't really think of anything else. I just really, I really feel passionate about it. And I do think there's a lot of value in this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is this is what I can do right now. I, this is my contribution. And when I go... A, 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 contribution, a contribution to what? To, like, understanding, to raising awareness, to... I don't know, giving an insight into what, you know, what, what I see, what I perceive to be the truth. Um, uh, highlighting the work of amazing NGOs in Iraq. I mean, I, so I spent, last time I was in Iraq, I spent some time with, um, with organisations that are doing different projects like um, taking judges around the camps to register right. babies who are born with ISIS birth certificates and things like that. And I'm just blown away by the work of those people, you know, these NGOs that that are doing this kind of stuff. So I feel like I'm very privileged to be able to to draw attention to that. Right, Okay. Hmm. So are you primarily a journalist or are you primarily a photographer? I'd say I'm primarily a photographer. I'm dipping my toes into journalism, but I, I like it. That's more of a challenge for me now, I think, because I have no real background in journalism I have no background in journalism I've always quite liked writing Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not again I haven't had I have no training in journalism but I'm finding that I I really like it I like the challenge I'm okay at writing I think yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) um so yeah I I like the combination I really do but if I had to choose then I'd probably choose photography so where's this journey come from yeah, good question. From traveling, really, just from traveling. I started traveling when I was 20. I went to Canada and, you know, it was like, I'd, I came from Idola, a little, you know, hamlet in Wales. Oh, you're you from Idola? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, oh, where the spaceships land and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that you could go and work in Canada and go to all these places. So I was just lucky. Anyway, and that's where it started. So every summer I would travel to a different place and work. 
um, whether in a bar or the first time I was at a whitewater rafting camp in Canada, saving money. And then I started to feel like I wanted to travel to places where I could do something more meaningful other than just take mm. pictures. And, you know, well, at that point I was just taking holiday snaps. Mm. So that's when I started going to Africa and I started volunteering first in South Africa and then later in Ghana. And I think it's just progressed from there. You know, I started enjoying photography more and more, taking it a bit more seriously. And then I remember I, I my boss, I was working on a ranch as a cowgirl in Wyoming. Yeah. And I was really into my pictures at that point. And my boss, I was showing him and he said, you know, why don't you invest in a good camera? I think this could be something good, or whatever he said. But anyway, I planted a seed and I came home and immediately bought my first SLR in 2008 or nine. Anyway, and it's just gone from there, from strength to strength, really. And I I just love photography more and more all the time. And I'm always learning. I don't think it's something you ever stop learning about. Yeah. And I've got a lot more to learn, I know that. Another aspect of your work, which is uh, uh, obvious, really, I guess, is that your empathy uh, towards the people that you photograph. There's a a genuine connection there that it's not Mm. as... uh, They're not run-of-the-mill photographs if you know what I mean Aww. but I think there's a lot of empathy there there's a lot of feeling between you uh, they don't appear intimidated by a camera I was looking at the Ghana stuff and that is uh, some of that is just truly beautiful oh that's really kind of you thank you so it's where not... does your empathy come from is it a Welsh thing I think so yeah no, I don't know I think it's just a human thing isn't it yeah, yeah. you can't help it when you're confronted with people suffering yeah I'm not one of those people that can switch. Well, I can switch off, but it I does. Af- when I'm with those people, I can get emotional. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's really a bad thing, as long mm. as it doesn't um, uh, harm your work or anything. But in Ghana, I spent a lot of time with those women. Mm. So um, I was volunteering with the project that supports, with an organization that supports them. So I got to know them all quite well. Mm. And then I started up that project to to provide beds, beds for them, yeah. yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And of course then, they, so now they know me quite well and I know them and they always welcome me into their home and they are happy to share their stories. And of course there's a lot of sensitivity around that because it was, um, well, the women have HIV mm-hmm. and I can talk about it now, Most, a lot of them have passed away sadly, but um, their families didn't know that they had HIV. Mm-hmm. So we had to be very secretive about why these women in particular were getting beds and not other women in the community. But I took advice from the the people I was working with who are local and they understand the situation. So I was just there to work alongside them, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've, it's it's nice to hear that um, the my empathy comes comes across in the pictures, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, I'd love the, the, the fishing boat pictures as well. They were oh, just, really? Oh, just stunning. Yeah, absolutely stunning. Oh, it's um, hard to it's hard to take a bad picture in somewhere like Ghana, uh, yeah, though. Guess, it's just yeah. so colourful yeah, and yeah. people are so expressive and yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it must be, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, the only connection I've had have been to Nepal, but uh, is, is oh, wow. that, uh, is, is that wherever you point the camera, really? Yeah, you yeah. don't know where where it has. But uh, there's some really nice <laughs> stuff. I I I, I suppose um, uh, I was looking at your uh, the Intifada and the Israeli uh, pictures. I guess it's difficult uh, for us who've never been uh, in uh, as people in the West to truly understand the nature of the the Palestinian problem. Um, it, did you find it, or do you find it difficult in those situations to be impartial? Yeah, I think it's hard for anybody to be impartial um, in that kind of, well, anybody covering that kind of conflict because uh, it's there aren't two sides, right? You know, the, there's no balance in this kind of situation. There's the occupiers and the occupied. I, I don't want to get too political about it, but I went to... Israel, um, with no knowledge really of the conflict of the military occupation, and I went to Jerusalem as a tourist, and I loved it, and I took all these nice pictures, and I thought, gosh, there's nothing. It's not doesn't seem like it's that bad, you know. It seems very safe. There's you know heavy military presence, but things seem okay. And then I went to stay in Hebron in the West Bank, and then I I got a much better understanding then of what the reality of occupation means for normal people, normal Palestinians who live there and they can't leave the West Bank, you know. Um, 
I had a good, I have a good friend. I actually went to Hebron the first time just couch surfing. <laughs> I was just went on couch surfing and I saw this, uh, this great host and I went to stay there and he became a very good friend of mine and he explains about his life and he's the same age as me from Palestine, um, not political, not an activist at all, just works in the hospital and he would love to go clubbing every weekend in Jerusalem. You know, just something simple like that, but he can't, he's not allowed, he can't cross the checkpoint, but I can. Mm-hmm. Just simple things like that. And then of course, he wanted to show me the old city where like the, um, uh, where the settlers, the Israeli settlers uh, living inside Hebron and they're protected then by a lot of Israeli soldiers. And immediately, I mean, actually I didn't believe how he was telling me that there are streets in Hebron in the Palestinian city in his hometown where he's not allowed to walk. I just thought that sounded absurd. And he was like, well, you know, I as a foreigner will have no problems. Anyway, down to to get there, we had to cross through a few checkpoints and I was let through with no problems and he was stopped and just, you know, nothing nothing bad, but he he was stopped and his ID was checked. Eventually we got through to this one checkpoint that leads onto a street called Shahada Street, which is quite quite famous. And he was stopped. Uh, Not only was he stopped, he was threatened and told to run, to, to go back. And I, of course, was welcomed forward. So that was kind of a, a surprise for me. And then he, he actually explained to me that uh, he was terrified of soldiers because a few months earlier he'd been walking home late one night. He was stopped. They were demanded to see his ID. And then they proceeded to b- beat him up and they broke both of his arms. And I'm not going to say that this, you know, all Israeli soldiers are bad. They're not. I've met, you know, I've met lots of Israeli soldiers that are very sympathetic to the Palestinian cause but in Hebron it's it's tough it's a very tough situation there yes yeah it's a it's a flashpoint and it's difficult for 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 everybody there really did you find um pointing your camera at or in situations um did you find that difficult at all or was your camera your friend it was somehow it felt like it gave me some protection that surprised me. Um, there was never a problem with me taking pictures in, in Israel or Palestine. Mm-hmm. The soldiers didn't have an issue with it. I only got into trouble one time um, with Israeli soldiers at the same checkpoint on a different occasion. Um, and normally I've taken pictures of the soldiers, of everybody, and there's never been an issue. But this one day, you know, they, um, they, they said that I'd put my f- camera too close to a soldier's face, which I hadn't. I was far away and I could prove it. But I'd taken pictures of them um, pointing their guns at a family and telling them to lift up their clothes, yeah, and they did. They didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they they threatened to arrest me. And then well, I said, "Can you call your commander?" So he called the commander, and then they all came. And I was trying to show them that I hadn't taken the picture that he said. I was up the whole time in that that um, encounter. I was quite far away from the soldier, and he said, "Well, we have CTV, CCTV camera footage." And I said, "Well." You can show it to me then, because yeah. anyway, no, I have overall no, I haven't had any any problems. Um, yeah. Just that one instance. Yeah, I, I remember being in a demonstration once. Um, I was actually arrested, but uh, I wasn't taking mm. photo- I wasn't taking any photographs. But a friend of mine was taking photographs, and uh, it was in Manchester, back in seventy one, I guess. And uh, the uh, police took the film out of the camera. Oh, really? They opened the camera and ripped the film out because he was photographing the demonstration. And it was kind of a bit sort of, uh, we were being thrown around a bit. Oh, wow. Uh, but, uh, in Manchester? Uh, yeah, in Manchester, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've, it's really strange you should say that because the only real demo I was in was in Cardiff when it was the students... Um, uh, um, demonstrating about um, uh, student loans and stuff. Okay. And that, that was quite, I found that quite strange and surreal in many respects because you're close to it and people are being really quite, not thuggish, but they're being quite, mm. you know, loud and in your face. Um, and that was a, a strange experience. But like you, camera becomes... A shield somehow. Yes, yeah. It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Very strange. Yeah. You know, I was getting a lot of F off and stuff oh, like gosh, this. Oh, God, really? Yeah. And then the police would usher me through places. And they were kind of nice to me. Um, but I, 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 you know, once you say you're press, you kind of... Um, and I had a press card in those days, so... 
Okay. You know, a short press card, and they were they were they were quite happy with you. But yes, uh, it's yeah. a different kettle of fish to where you go. I don't know. That sounds a bit wild. <laughs> it was a bit wild. <laughs> I've never been beaten up or or pushed around at a demonstration. Yeah. Or maybe I've just been lucky, actually. Yeah. St- and the story about the guy in the wheelchair is really. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never managed to publish that actually. That's wh- why because I it's such a know. good story. Yeah, I th- it's a good story. Maybe I didn't try hard enough. I'm not that. I'm still learning how to write pictures in in a good way but I, I yeah I really like that story I think I'm going to go back and right. and, and try and extend on that because yes. he's got a very interesting story yes it's, it's yeah right. and he, every Friday he goes to the demonstrations in his wheelchair right. and, and he's he's known as the photographer of yeah. the village and he documents the demonstrations every every Friday it's it's crazy it's been going on for years now since 2000 I think right to go back to, do you, uh, I mean, um, you don't work for agencies as such, do you? No. Sometimes I contribute to agencies. Um, right, okay. But no, not not generally. I've done some work with um, Anna Delu, a Turkish agency um, from the camps, uh, the jungle, when I was in the right. Calais jungle. So, so were you sending stuff, you know, just pitching stuff at people? Is that the way you yeah, go about it? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Stabbing in the dark, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would tell them I'm going to cover this event. Um, like I was in Calais for the time when they they wanted to move the camp 100 metres away from the highway. Yep. So that was interesting for the news. So Anna Delu, Anna Delu will only pay me, uh, they pay a day rate, which is another, it's, it's a system that I'm not that familiar with. And a lot of photographers I've spoken to aren't, aren't familiar with this way of doing it. Normally they just get paid per picture that they sell, I think. But anyway, Anna Delu give me a day rate. Um, so I was there for that, and then the eviction last October was that I right. think it was October. Yeah, so they pay me a day rate, and then they distribute the photos to Getty, and then they go wherever. But yeah. I don't really. So you're you're kind of a you you really are a lone freelancer then. Yeah. How do you yeah. how do you cope? How do you finance? How do you yes. you know? Because it must be a bit of a, a logistical nightmare. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is a logistical nightmare. It's such a fine balancing act, yeah, because I always have to calculate the. Well, it's a gamble, really, isn't it? Like going to Iraq was a huge gamble because I spent yeah. a fortune going there, yeah. and then every day going out into the field was very expensive because I had to pay. Everybody has to pay for a fixer, and I wasn't prepared really for the cost of the fixer. I thought it would be maybe two hundred dollars a day. And then, you know, with spread between four people, four journalists. But no, the prices now are much higher. So I struggled a bit with that. Um, and then, you know, and then you go out and it's again at taking a big risk that you'll get a story or a picture that might sell. And I don't know, I'd say it was like 50 50. That some days I was lucky and others I wasn't. So then it, it encourages freelancers in some ways to push it, you know, to push the boundaries a little bit more because the staff reporters, they are discouraged or, you know, prohibited from going out too close to front. Oh, well, I don't really know how it works. I don't want to say. I don't, I don't really know. But I just feel like maybe it encourages freelancers to take extra risks right. to get a story yes. that might not be accessible to yes, others. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so how important do you think your role is then as a, as a uh, documenting these events, uh, serious uh, world events, really? Uh, I, th- I think anybody who's reporting on the, this plays an important role, really. Whatever it is, everybody has a different opinion. Hmm. There are a lot of journalists in Iraq right now. So, I mean, personally, I don't think my role is, you know, it's not shedding light on anything that's not already being told in the news but I don't know any effort to contribute is good I think Um, but maybe when I was in Palestine I felt like I was doing something maybe slightly more meaningful because I was finding stories that nobody else was necessarily covering or wasn't you know, I not that I was aware of anyway. Yeah. Do you find the 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 uh, but the twenty four hour news cycle must have a mm. an effect? So how are you getting your stuff out then, or are you, um, uh, you know, that that must be difficult. Yeah, that this is this is what I'm finding. I, I don't work that quickly, I suppose, because when after spending you know ten hours out in the field, the last thing I want to do when I come home is then edit, caption, and upload the pictures, especially with slow internet. It's you know. And of course, the pictures have no value the next day if it's for the news. So I've been doing features mostly. Yeah. So putting together photo essays that tell a different story, like the 
I did quite an extended piece about the burning oil wells. Yes. So that was that. I took those pictures on two trips to to the oil well to the fires. I mean, lots of people would say that uh, sort of features and uh, stories and uh, and uh, the photo essay, if you like, are passe things of the past. But I find mm. a great value in them personally. I enjoy yeah. the, and especially when the um, the theme is strong. I mean, I I, I I'm really surprised that that uh, the the, um, the gentleman in the wheelchair has not. It's I mean, it's an amazing mm. story. Yeah. And I, I I'm surprised nobody's bought it from you really. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, no. I mean, yeah. you know, it it seems. I think that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm very good at selling my work. I don't have a lot of confidence in in the stories I'm producing. And I, really? Yeah, I know. I, I again, it's because I'm I'm so new to this. I'm just learning as I go, and right. you know, I, I I haven't done any training, so I don't really know how the industry works. But I'm getting there slowly. But right. because yeah, the, I never have the scarf factory. Yes, is, I know. It's a class story. Yeah. I mean, I get my teeth for a story like that. It's just amazing. Oh my gosh. I haven't, I don't think I've pitched that to anybody. Really? <laughs> yes. But yeah, because I, I took the pictures, but I didn't, I didn't do any interviews. Right. So, okay. um, do you carry a recorder back, with you? Or, or? I, I, I uh, record on my phone. Right. Okay. I use my phone and then I transcribe the interviews later. Right. Okay. Um, what yeah. about language barriers and things like that? Is, uh, I, that must be cause you a bit yeah. of a headache as well. Yeah. It? Yeah. It's difficult. Um, it's always easier when the person I'm interviewing speaks English. So a lot of the stories I did um, in Greece, a lot. I didn't do a lot of stories, but a lot of the people I interviewed there, they spoke good English. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. So I mean, you just have to have a translator. So in yeah. Iraq, you know, you have the fixer yes. also works as a translator, but... Uh, yeah, it's I I it was released. I thought you know, uh, there's one title on Winnie Blogs is why I fell in love with Wyoming, and it. But I think you should change the whole thing. It should be why I fell in love with photography. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because you know that that's yes. the essence of oh it all, gosh. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Wyoming is extraordinary. Isn't oh, it's it? Marlborough country, isn't it? Yeah, you know? it is. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I'm just dying to get out there and just spend like a few weeks taking pictures of cowboys. Yes. You know, because when I've been there, it's been, I've just been like backpacking and yeah, yeah. stuff. So it has, I haven't really been there with a focus on just getting some really good shots because that would involve like asking people to come out with their horses in the morning, stuff like that. So how much research do you do before you, uh, you uh, start um, on a project? No, not enough, <laughs> probably. Um, um, yeah, not that much. I try to get a basic understanding and then I talk to people who have been there and just for basic security yeah. information. But I find that I learn and I remember much better when I'm on the ground. It sticks. You know, I learned, I try, I learned, I learned, I read some books about Israel, Palestine before I went there. And I just never really felt like I had a grasp on it. I didn't understand it. And then, of course, being there, and now when I read the books, it all makes sense to me in a much clearer way. Yeah. Still, I don't understand it fully, of course. But, yeah, no, I, I don't do enough research before I go. I sh- probably should do more, to be honest. Uh, uh, so, um, will Claire Thomas's work uh, um, be because you have material for books? Hmm. Yeah, I, somebody else has said that to me. I don't think I have enough, though. No, nah, I don't know. No, I don't believe you. I would love to do a book. I'd love to. That would be yeah. my dream. Yeah. To, to, to create a book and to have an exhibition. Right. Uh, uh, have any... Well, um, there are possibilities that are not... Um, they're not impossible. They're not impossible, <laughs> yeah. are they? Um, uh, 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 from a conflict point of view and uh, other photographers, are there any uh, photographers... Mm-hmm. That in, I know it sounds like a cheesy question, but are there any um, more photographers that inspired you or people that have done stuff in the past that you think that oh, I like that? And that's the way I want to go. Yeah, I mean, I think probably um, this photographer. Do you know Lindsay Adario? Yes, indeed. Yes. I read her book, and I think that's probably she's probably responsible for me going to Iraq. <laughs> no, no, that really inspired me, and I thought that's what. The work she was doing was is fantastic. Yes. Um, but I have to admit, more than anyone, this a friend of mine inspired me. He's a photographer, and I wouldn't be doing any of this work without him. I reached out to this guy, Jason Tanner. He's a Welsh photographer yeah. as well. 
and um, I found his website and I wrote to him I think maybe a couple of years ago and I just said I'm a photographer and I don't really know what I'm doing um, <laughs> I'd love to you know hear your thoughts sometime yeah. and he's been advising me ever since and he's and now we're, we're, we're friends we're good friends and his work really inspired me. As soon as I saw his website, I knew that was the kind of work I wanted to do more than ever. It was it all became clear then. Yeah. And he worked with UNHCR. He's been a very successful photojournalist for right. many years. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Surprising. And animals. And animals. I lo- yeah, I like taking pictures of animals. I guess that that's that's how it started for me. You know? Really? Yeah. Like you know, my love of horses, and then going to Africa and seeing all these yeah. these animals. <laughs> One of my favorite pictures of a lion. I don't know if you've seen it. It's where the lion is like looking right at me and he's yes. approaching me. That only happened because I think anyway because I had malaria, and I was in Namibia. I was really sick with malaria. I, I'd been in Ghana before and I had contracted malaria there, and then I'd flown to Namibia and then I started this ten day safari and I couldn't get off this safari. I was, we were camping and I realized on day two that I had malaria. I was shaking, but anyway, we went on this safari to look at this this lion and we were in one of those hides you know and they put the the front piece up right and then the lion i get I, I guess i was kind of like this i was really sick and the lion he just looked at me and he just charged and then they put the the cover down but the ranger laughed and he said that the they behave like that if they see children or somebody with the weakness or something oh, right, Dan. yeah oh. it was just interesting cause absolutely gave us a bit of a thrill we were never in danger we were in a hut but it was quite funny yeah what have you learnt about human nature on your uh, assignments? Mm, that's a good question. What have I learnt about human nature? Do you know, in some ways, um, I feel when I'm away, I have more faith in human nature. Because when I come home, all I see is the news and I think, oh God, all we're doing is killing people. Um, but human nature, I think, that, you know, there's, I see both the best side and the worst side. You know, um, I just did a story recently about the families of ISIS fighters and I never thought that I could feel any kind of sympathy for anybody who would do something as horrific as even be, you know, have anything to do with a terrorist group like ISIS. But these mothers were telling me the stories of their 15-year-old children who were living in Mosul and they were, you know, they were radicalised in mosques and they were convinced to join this gang, you know, and they wanted to be part of this gang and they didn't know what it was and no matter what the parents did to discourage them, off they went and joined joined ISIS and now they've been taken and the, I don't know, who knows what's happening to them now. But it just, it made the whole thing so much more complicated in my mind. It's not as clear as this is there. I mean, of course, there is nothing more evil than ISIS, mm-hmm. but people who are suffering under their control they have no no hope nobody's there to help them i you can kind of it's a more of it's more of a gray area seeing what uh, motivates those youngsters to join you know they're easy targets they're really easy targets for them Mm. um but yeah i don't know and then i see you know so many people working tirelessly just to help others you know it's it's really inspiring to see that. Have you? And, oh no, go yeah. ahead. No, no, you, Sorry. no, you carry on. Um, and another thing is that I'm all when I'm in the camps, I'm I get totally overwhelmed by how kind and welcoming people are to me. As a foreigner, I'm nobody to them, mm. and all I do is get I spend all my time in tents or in homes with people, making me tea. I don't know. I, I think as a woman, in some ways, it's easier because I have this access that is never available to men yeah that's the question i was going to ask really mm-hmm. uh, as a woman photographer as a female photographer because um uh, you're a rare breed really yeah there's not that many no. females there. and the funny thing is in with the ngos it's mostly women right the journalists yeah. are yeah, yeah, mostly yeah, yeah. mostly men yeah but yeah it's very it is easier and you know even in africa i feel i feel protected because the women protect me you know they if if i'm ever in danger the women, I was once robbed, you know, in, in the street in Ghana. He, I was pickpocketed. I lost a purse with maybe £10 in it. So I wasn't really that worried. But the, I was in a market and these women went berserk. And they started, like, trying to hunt down this man. And I don't know, I, I was really moved by that. I don't feel like that would happen in 
in Kamar then or something. No. <laughs> I don't think anybody no. would really care if no. I was robbed. No. Or they wouldn't do that. Yeah, d- that's uh, that's um, a strange thing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I, I think um, you mentioned Gandhi and you mentioned uh, Martin Luther King in your one of your blogs. I don't remember which one. Yeah. Oh, yes. So, the... so, uh, so what were you doing prior to taking photographs? I mean, you must have... There must have been something inside you which said, not drove you to be a photographer, but um, uh, an understanding of uh, how difficult it is for people who are struggling, really. Mm. So was that was that in your head prior to that? You know, I mean, I don't, I know nothing yeah. about you, Claire, yeah. <laughs> other than you photograph and you take really good photographs. <laughs> so I don't know what was yeah. your previous life like. Um. I've basically just been traveling my just whole traveling. adult life. And I was in university, I, I studied politics. Right, okay. So that kind of contributed. And then I focused on Af- politics of African nations and underdeveloped countries. Right, okay. And I, I think that just kept sparking my curiosity and right. wanting to go to those countries and understand what life is like for people who don't have the luxury of living in a comfortable house and having everything provided mm. for them. You know, I've lived quite, I've been very lucky. I've never had to worry about putting food on the table or, mm. you know, and then going to Africa, gosh, or, well, it started in Africa, but just made me really grateful for the, for everything. Yes. For flushing toilets, a yes. bed to sleep in. I can't imagine those women having tuberculosis, pneumonia, malaria, HIV, and not even having a bed to sleep mm. on. And then losing their children to a disease that they can't even talk about. So yeah. I don't know. It's learning about those things at university definitely made me want to go and understand them more. And then photography kind of just popped up as something that I could use to raise awareness, primarily as a way to draw attention to my fundraising campaigns. Right. And then it sort of progressed from there. So you do fundraising campaigns as well? Well, I, I, I was. was yeah. Yes, I was what, doing that. In, well, what sort of stuff were you fundraising for? Um, in Ghana, I started just fundraising for that uh, community-based organization that I was working with. Yes. They're just It's basically just a family. It's just a Ghanaian family. And people started coming to them for advice about HIV. I can't remember how it all started, but now they have this really good organization where they just the hospital basically refers women with HIV to them and then they connect them so they they give these women and girls children men men as well actually now they they support men as well and they give them like a support network so they come together and they can talk about their struggles with the illness because they can't do that with their families and then they teach them about you know uh, uh, how to eat healthily because that's such a big an important thing with making the antiretroviral drugs effective yeah 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 um so yeah so sorry to go back to your question yes um, i was fundraising for them and then um one of the things i noticed while i was visiting doing the home visits with them was that none of the women had beds to sleep on yeah, right, so okay. then i decided to set right. up the ghana beds project right, yes. and then the, my photos really were the driving force of that i i right, think okay. anyway People could and identify. Is that ongoing? That- no, the the that project was completed in two thousand and fourteen. I went to Ghana and bought the beds, and then we distributed them. Um, and since then, I I would like to continue that work. Um, we've been talking about building a community development center for them in Ghana because they don't have a space where they can invite the women to come and speak confidentially. Right. Um, and and they'd like so they had this idea. We. We, we talked about it a lot last time I was there. We'd like to build a place where the women can come and they can do activities, like, you know, a kind of a knowledge exchange thing where they, where they help each mm. other. Because they don't have any literacy. Oh, no, they don't. Some of them don't have um, literacy skills. Yeah. Or, you know, a lot of them don't have any education. They don't speak English. So we wanted to give them some of these skills. Um, but anyway, this, that project is quite huge. Mm. We ha- they have the land. Um, they have the plot and they're working with the chief to start building a road to it. And basically, I, I was there. It's just a bush, it's a really thick bush. And I was like, oh, God, how are we going to how are we going to build here? There's not even a road, but it's a perfect location for this center because it's off the it's out of the town and right. private. 
But anyway, that I'd like to start fundraising for that, but I'm not quite sure how. I need to go back to Ghana and understand the the project more. Yeah, yeah. Take yeah, some pictures yeah. and speak with them more. I've kind of lost contact actually a little bit with with the family in Ghana, so that's my goal this year is to try and go back. Right. Yeah. Well, but um, uh, did you make friends in Iraq? Yes, yeah, lots of friends. Right, okay. I actually had a, it was strange to say, but I had a great time with, with the friends I made there, like right. locals, yeah. uh, Kurdish people, yeah. um, journalists. Yeah, I, I did some work with some Kurdish people in um, in Cardiff. Yeah? Yeah, they were really interesting and um, uh, re- um, uh, uh, it was with the um, Refugee Council in Cardiff. Ah. And I did yeah. some photography for them, and then I did some uh, portraits of guys, you know, and they were they were amazing. Yeah, amazing people, and really proud of their of their heritage as well, you know. Um, uh, fascinating, oh, wow. fascinating people. But oh, yeah. yeah, so the element of friendship and getting to know people is the door, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. No, right? I think the most important thing with being a successful photojournalist is just to have good people skills, really. Yeah. You know, the f- photography side of it is secondary. If you don't have good people skills, then you'll never get the story. Um, no, and uh, I, I, I see, I, I have a thing about people who, I call it sort of um, photography porn, really, you know. <laughs> Did you know when they, oh, people go out just for the sake of, Shooting yeah. people who are down and out or whatever. Yeah. I find that really ups- it upsets me because I have no context at all to yes. work on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, whereas, so, you know, this kind of work you're doing has context and legitimacy somehow. Mm. Uh, I feel that uh, other oh, sort that's of... that's good to know. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think that's really important. Yes, I mean, it is. Yeah, you know, it's not, a just, uh, it's not just another photograph of another person who was ill or got HIV it's something mm. complete isn't it uh, yeah. uh, and I think that uh, that element of your work is what attracted Asa's Photon to come and interview you really well it just certainly attracted me to come and interview oh, because that's good to know well yeah because yeah, I, I think um, it's a kind of a tradition that is uh, not a tradition it's a way of working that you c- uh, Rhodri, um from Jones from North Wales, who we interviewed, he goes on long-term excursions into China and okay. uh, to um, uh, strange lands and stuff. <laughs> uh, but he integrates himself with the community. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's and that's so interesting. That's the most interesting yeah, thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get a really good understanding, and you can convey that with your pictures and, and then message. then what happens is people don't yes. react to your camera they're reacting to you rather than to a yes. camera which is really cool yeah that's true yeah that's kind of why I, i'm not so keen on working with agencies i mean i wouldn't say no it's, you know <laughs> it's money at the end of the day but yeah. um, i don't get that many offers yeah but i like to i, I like the format of um creating photo essays and writing the introduction yeah. and the captions, everything myself, so I'm a bit more in control of the message. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's represented by Panos. I don't know if you know Panos. Pan- oh, yes, Panos, yeah. they're a, a kind of an agency, which I've probably... Heard of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe I should write you, to them. You should, should write to them, Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually ha- haven't written to... I, no, I haven't written to many agencies. I don't know enough about it yet, I guess. I should do more, yeah. more research into that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been frightened? Uh, oh God, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I I defy anybody to go to these places and not be frightened. Right. But um, in a in a controlled way, I managed to control it. But when I went um, to the front line in Iraq in December, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't really know what I was doing, and I wasn't quite sure of my role being there either. Mm. I wasn't sure what you know what these pictures going to mean. Um, but yeah, I was pretty terrified driving. I don't know what's the what does the front line look like? I didn't I really didn't know. And this was south of Mosul in a village. So to get to the village we had to drive through unpaved desert roads and all we knew was that the roads the, the roadsides weren't cleared of IEDs. So we had to be careful to, to stay on the on the tracks. And we ended up just driving through a desert for quite a ways, not really knowing where we were going. And I was terrified that we were just gonna end up in enemy territory without even realising. Mm-hmm. We ended up reaching 
a small tiny village like before the front line where where the front line fighting was and then we had to wait at an army base there for a couple of hours until um an army truck came and then they led us to the to the village and I just remember putting on my body armor and thinking oh my god what what am I doing this is this is really stupid but at that point I was committed so I kind of felt calm and then the chief of police walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to join as a volunteer fighter <laughs> can't you see I'm terrified no <laughs> no oh my god but you know it was one it was such a surreal experience the whole thing was really bizarre and I think probably not the usual experience of frontline reporting you know I, I don't really have anything to compare it to but we went we drove through the desert we got to the front line it was kind of a, a village in the desert and there were just army tanks everywhere and soldiers and their soldiers were so welcoming I get I mean they don't see that many women so they're welcoming to any any foreigner but especially women I think and so the first thing that happened was they f- gave us some lovely lunch <laughs> I had a lovely plate full of chicken and rice while there's bombs going off everywhere oh my god um, but it was, then we moved to an abandoned house and we climbed into the house with these soldiers and we went upstairs and I mean, I, w- I didn't know what I was doing and there were, there were, at that point there were bullets hitting the wall quite close to us so we made sure to keep down and then I, I ended up just sort of lying down taking pictures of the soldiers and it was quite calm at that at that moment. And then I felt fine, actually. Taking pictures was an amazing distraction. I just focused on the camera, the settings, and like changing the exposure every five seconds, inside, outside. Yeah. And then I kind of forgot about where I was. Yeah. And and it, that was that was fine. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I was terrified. So where next? Um, hopefully back to Iraq. I think. Okay. Um, I feel quite drawn to go back there. I haven't made any any solid plans yet because I have this work. I'm doing a couple of projects with the UNHCR in Edinburgh from right. tomorrow. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So what can you tell us what those are? Yeah, they're just a, a couple of stories at the university uh, with one is something to do with a battery charger that, that university students have designed and oh, engineered right, okay. to be used in camps. And another one is about a program involving university students mentoring refugees. Right. I think so. I don't. That's all I know at the moment. So I'm going there with a writer for the UNHCR, and then I take the pictures. So that's a lovely way of working, actually. Yes. I like working like that. Yeah, it's a really cool way of uh, doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you can bounce off each other. And, oh uh, gosh, yeah. We I, we did one in London the other day, and it was great fun. Hmm. Well, I mean, I just felt like this is such a privilege to to you know to learn about these incredible projects that I would know nothing about otherwise. Right. So yeah, I really enjoy that. I'd like to work more with NGOs. I've, it's been my dream for a long time to work with UNHCR. So this this right. is really exciting for me. Excellent. Mm. Um, and um, so we can look forward to a book and, <laughs> yeah. a, and, a, uh, and an exhibition. Uh, yes. Um, you yes. have to work on that, Claire. I, yeah, because I know. I think, I know. you know, because... I I mean, Wales produced Philip Jones Griffiths. I mean, you know, so uh, uh, and you're in that in that vein, really, aren't you? You know, well, really, you are because <laughs> I mean, you know, that it's. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot of guts to do what you do. I mean, I'm not sure if I could. Uh, well, I'm too old anyway. anyway no, it, good but, God, no. But um, uh, um, I don't think I've got the guts of the other reporters that I met there. I think, no, no, I don't think so. What are they like? What sort of camaraderie is there between It's It's really nice, yeah. It's, it's really nice. We all get together often. All, all the freelancers, we all end up in like the same house or the same bar sharing stories. And yeah. it's, it's nice because we all have the same difficulties, the same struggles with getting paid and getting, yeah. getting noticed and everything. Yeah. Others are much more successful. Or so, some are more successful than others. But yeah, there's a lot. It's, it's a good feeling of like supporting relationships and good camaraderie yeah. Yeah. as well as an edge of competitiveness which is always there you never yeah. know if they're really your friends <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who to trust no it's nice it, it is good and you know are you competitive by nature um i'm competitive with myself i think more than with other people mm-hmm. but it when somebody tells me i can't do something or i shouldn't do something that really pushes me to do it that gives me Right. A lot of determination, which might not be a good thing. <laughs> um, but no, I wouldn't say I'm that competitive, really. Right, I, d- okay. I don't relish competition. Right. Okay. But I do like to push myself. 
Uh, so back to Iraq, I guess, then? I think so. Mm, I'd like to go back to Palestine as well this year. Right. And follow up on go. stories that you've done before. Yeah. It's, it's easier for me to work there because I have a really good base of friends, or right, a okay. good friendship base, and like lots, lots of contacts. Yes. With with locals who speak English, as opposed to in Iraq, most of my contacts are journalists and fixers, right. which is really nice, but it's different. So in Palestine, I know well, like most of my friends there are Palestinian, and they always are willing to give me more information about everyday life. And then, you know, I get ideas from stories naturally. Yes, because everyday life is complicated, yeah. there, isn't it? And yeah. As you were alluding to earlier. Yeah. Uh, and because of that complication, uh, stories obviously spring up all the time, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people just write to me and, and tell me, ask me if I would like to do a story about their work. And right. What about uh, sort of uh, uh, women in Palestine? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're not as throwing stones, I guess. No, no, the women aren't, no. So, I mean, some are, but they, tr- they, in, they really do try to encourage the non-violent resistance. Yes. It's much more effective, you know. Yes. Is it, uh, have you seen that on the ground? Yeah, yeah but I mean... It's tough because, you know, non-violent resistance involves demonstrations yes. and doing activities. Like, uh, I mean, the first story I did actually for Al Jazeera was about a kindergarten in the city, in the heart of the old city in Hebron. And she, this kindergarten is just surrounded by fences and military checkpoints and soldiers and everything. And as part of her non-violent, like, um, direct action against the occupation, she invited the kids to paint messages on the wall um, on the separation wall that divides where she is from Shuhada Street where the settlers are and um, that was just a that was a really nice story but I was afraid I remember feeling afraid that the soldiers would fire tear gas because whenever there's any kind of activity like that oh gosh talk about being afraid oh there was oh god um in Palestine we were doing um, a painting activity but with university students I say we I was there as a photographer but also supporting this organization called Youth Against Settlements and it's an, a fantastic it's a fantastic organization and they every year they have a week of activities um, to highlight the fact that Shahada Street is closed to Palestinians so the campaign is called Open Shahada Street anyway they kicked it off with this lovely really calm non-violent activity with university students just painting banners and like beautiful murals like nothing really political I think they they painted one message called free and it said free Palestine anyway it was outside one of the checkpoints and we could see that the soldiers were getting ready to to come in and oh my gosh what happened I was with an Irish girl and she said look if 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 things kick off, we'd go into that building, we'd go fast upstairs to get away because we knew they'd fire tear gas. Anyway, they came through and we hadn't noticed and all these soldiers came. We were all just painting. It was, you know, there wasn't any provocation. And as we ran into this building, a soldier threw a stun grenade and it rolled into the building and, and exploded at my feet. And at that, I, you know, at that moment, you don't, it takes a little while to register that it's, a stun grenade, not a bomb or anything. Or my my fear was that it was tear gas and we were going to be stuck with that because they the tear gas they use there is nothing like anything I've experienced before. It's it's I thought I was going to die. It's really really potent. And the rubber bullets have um, the rubber uh, bullets, yeah, which have you. steel in them, yeah. Yeah, rubber coated steel bullets. Yeah, yeah, it's really scary the stuff they use. Uh, have you been uh, um Have you been tempted to go to look at the orthodox side of the Jewish and the settlers themselves. Have you been? Are you... Um, I haven't spent enough time. Right. I, but I've, I've, because the, uh, it's, it's a little bit scary. But I mean, I did go and spend some time in this settlement um, in the Jordan Valley, and people were really nice. It's again in, in Hebron. It's it's different. It, it it's much more intense there, and and the settlers aren't quite so. Um, Willing to speak yes. to outsiders who yes. they perceive as being pro-Palestinian. Yes. But yeah, I was in the Jordan Valley and I was staying with a family. And I just, I mean, I can't, I don't know how I can explain it, but this this run-down house and the land is completely barren and they can't grow anything because there's no water. But the Jordan Valley is very fertile. It's, you know, it's well known for having this really mm. good fertile soil. Anyway, 
just really hotter than hell place. There's, there's no water and there's no trees. And then I, you could see the settlement, it's, I don't know, maybe a mile down the road and it's just like this haven of green. So I thought, I'll just walk there. Of course, I couldn't, it was quite far, so I ended up hitchhiking. And an Israeli guy picked me and this uh, friend of mine up and just drove us straight into the settlement. And it was like going onto a different planet. It was like coming into, you know, a little community in Wales. You know, there were trees everywhere, there were water fountains, and there was nobody there. It was so, it was very strange. Right. So that it's complicated in the Jordan Valley, uh, and it's all divided into area A, B, and C. And this is something I, I don't understand that much. But um, basically, the Israeli, you know, it's all controlled by Israeli forces, and they control how much water gets delivered to the Palestinian side, and they, I think they were getting like, um, oh God, it was a limited number of hours per day of water, and then they'd fill the tanks up with that, something like that. But, it, you know, it's That's unbelievable, it's land. Really. Yeah, just little things like that. And, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to go back there to understand it more. There's a lot of stories there. I yes, think. a whole lifetime of stories, I A guess. whole lifetime of stories, and I will never begin to understand it fully, I don't think. Well, perhaps you can, uh, uh, I mean, as I said earlier, it's that having that insight and giving uh, us um, an insight into um, how um, people live, really. Mm. When you um, are confronted by poverty, you know, I've, you know, when you go to a place which is really poor, that you understand, it's, it has a strange effect on your head. Mm. Although I found when I went to Pal, the, 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 uh, the, towns where they had electricity the people were less friendly once you were out in yes. the villages yeah that's true yeah I, just, I found that really weird they would <laughs> yeah. look twice at you but the people in the small villages would welcome you into the house give you you know sweet tea and uh, you could sleep there if you yes. wanted did you know yeah absolutely yeah it's been and they would laugh at you so... and uh, you know oh god yeah they do laugh at yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I think they enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, in Africa, in, well, in Ghana, they always try and get me to dance. Oh, they always do it. It's awful. <laughs> they just want to laugh. And then they laugh at me, like, when I'm doing my, well, doing any house chores, actually. It's, oh, it's brutal. Right. But, you know, they're so good. They're so strong. I can't compete with these yeah. these 12-year-olds who are, like, you know, they're yeah. really good I, at everything they do. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, the thing is, well, another thing which I compliment you on is that you're in the tradition of the old Life magazine, uh, you know, where they went to... I mean, we are putting up um, uh, uh, an interview with a, a life um, uh, photographer, Rappaport, who went to Abavan and he spent oh, wow. three months there, you know. Yeah, OK. Recording the aftermath. Oh, wow. Uh, and so... Um, and the biggest story he ever told, by his own admission. Mm. So, you, you know, uh, keep doing it, mm. please. Yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> and keep showing us the work, yeah. That'd yes. be great. Thank you very much. Claire. Thank you. Cheers.